welcome to the jar. Uh, my name's Chris. You just lost three minutes of your life on the stream. Uh, these people had to suffer. They couldn't leave to go to the refrigerator, but uh, you know, we're glad that you're here today. Um, we love to have fun in this place, and we love Jesus, and we think both of those things go together. Now, one thing that you might be thinking about is what is up with the ladder, Chris? And so we're going to talk about this more later, but I simply want to begin by saying that today as we talk about the hot mess of religion, that a lot of people believe that religion is somehow about climbing up a ladder and doing more. That if you just do more, you actually become more religious. Now, this might shock you, but as a pastor, I hate religious people. I might not say hate. Let me put it this way. I dislike religious people. Religious people just kind of drive me crazy. And typically, I find out how religious they are when they find out what my occupation is. They'll ask me many times, well, what is your occupation? And when I tell them I'm a pastor, they either go in one of two directions. Either one, they become hyper-spiritually religious. I say, well, my name's Chris, and I'm a pastor. Oh, you're a pastor. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Glory to God. I was at church last week, Pastor, and I just want you to know you're my brother. Brother Chris, give me your hand. And sometimes I've literally had people start praying for me, like right in the middle of that whole situation. Now, the other direction is that they're not religious at all. And when I tell them that I'm a pastor, immediately they go, well, I'm not a religious person. And they try to walk away. And I try to interject as quickly as I can. And this is what I tell them every single time. When they say, well, I'm not religious, I look at them and I say, well, I'm not religious either. I'm glad to know you. <laughs> and then I wait for the shock in their face. You see, folks, at the root of the word religion, and you may have never thought about this before, at the root of that word, what it literally means is to return to bondage. The word religion at its root means one of the definitions is to return to bondage. You see, folks, Jesus didn't come to earth to make you more religious. He came to actually set you free. In the essence of Christianity, it's not so much about religion as it is about a relationship with a living God who knows you best and who loves you most. Let me say that again. The essence of Christianity is not so much about religion as it is about a relationship with Jesus. Now, today, like I said, I want to talk about religion and how it can become a hot mess. The truth is, is that sometimes religion can actually become something that becomes toxic and poisons either you or the people around you. And the way we're going to understand this today is we are going to look at a passage of scripture in Galatians chapter 1. And Galatians is in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, and a guy by the name of Paul writes this letter. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. 
Paul was a person who used to persecute Christians. And then Jesus came into his life. He gave up everything to follow Christ and he started uh, different churches. And one of the churches that he started was in Galatia. And he starts this church. He builds up some leaders. Everything is going great. He feels good about everything. And then he says, I'm going to leave and I'm going to start some other churches. Well, in the midst of all of this, there's a group that comes into the church called the Judaizers. And basically, this is what they said. They said, you know what? Paul is okay, but he doesn't know everything like we do. He doesn't understand the message like us. I mean, Jesus and that message is good, but it's not enough. If you want to be made right with God, it's not Jesus only, but they said this, it's Jesus plus circumcision. In other words, what he was saying, basically, the Judaizers were saying that it's Jesus plus all of these rules of do's and don'ts. It has to be something more, not Jesus just alone. And the Judaizers, that's what they believed. It was Jesus plus circumcision if you want to be made right with God. Now, you can imagine when they came with this idea, because that was part of the Jewish faith, every newborn would be circumcised, that those who were Gentiles, those who were non-Jewish people who were never circumcised, all of a sudden it created an issue for some of the men in the church in Galatia. I mean, I was thinking about it. It would kind of be like me today deciding that, you know, as a part of our church culture, what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that every male has been circumcised. And what we're going to do is at the end of the teaching, I'm going to invite every man who has not been circumcised to come forward and I'll have a scalpel right here ready to take care of things. Now, this is what I know about some of you men. Some of you, we can't even get you baptized, let alone something more. And that's just getting your head wet a little bit. But just imagine if I had the scalpel and I said, and right now, if you want to be made right with God, come on up here. We're going to help you get closer to Jesus. And we took care of things. Now, baptism is a much easier path, men. You just have to get your head wet. And just to let you know, December 3rd and 10th, I'm going to be teaching on baptism, and then the baptism is on the 17th. Lunch and child care are provided, and uh, all the men who've never been baptized, it's much easier than what something else could happen, you know, and we'll choose not to do that. Some of you men are eerily kind of wondering, where's he going with this? Well, this is where I'm going. It's... Jesus only. And that's what baptism tells us. You don't have to do Jesus plus something else. Well, back to the story. Paul hears these Judaizers kind of teaching about this, about Jesus plus something else. And he becomes so furious and upset because when he came to Christ, it was only about Jesus only. And he comes back and he says, well, why are you believing in these false religions? And in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says this, I am shocked that you have so quickly turned from God 
who chose you because of his wonderful kindness. You have believed another message. That is the message of the Judaizers, that Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus something else. You have believed another message when there is really only one true message, but some people, that is the Judaizers, are causing you trouble and want to make you turn away from the good news. That is the gospel about Christ. You see, this is what's going on. The church is listening to these other people who are saying Jesus is not enough. That the good news, the gospel, is not just the good news of Christ, but it's something more. And they bring a a toxic religion, a whole bunch of rules and regulations and rituals into it. They were saying, Jesus is not enough. It has to be Jesus plus something else. So for the rest of our time, what I want to do is share with you just a couple of key ingredients that you find in a hot mess religion a toxic religion. The first one is this. A hot mess religion focuses on the external rather than on the internal. A hot mess religion focuses on the external rather than on the internal. This is where Christianity is reduced down to a whole bunch of do's and don'ts. This is what you do and this is what you don't do. And if you do enough of these or don't do enough of these, you will be made right with God. You see, for religion, what it really is, is this idea that I've got to climb up this ladder and I've got to do a whole bunch of things to finally get up to God. I have to do so many things. And if I do that, then My morality will actually allow me to get to a point where I can be made right with God. In Jesus' day, there was a group of people uh, called the Pharisees who believed this. In fact, uh, you might remember that there was a guy named Moses who came up with what God gave him, uh, 10 kind of laws. What do we call those? The 10 what? The 10 commandments. And what the Pharisees did was they're like, well, that's really not enough. You've got to do more than that. And they piled on these laws over particular times to where finally there was 613 laws in the Bible for you to adhere to if you were going to be made right with God. But the problem is, it was all about an external kind of thing with God, not an internal one. And Jesus despised this kind of understanding when it came to a relationship with God. In fact, you can see him actually unleashed on these Pharisees, these religious leaders in Matthew 23, 25. And he unloads on them and says this. He says, you Pharisees and teachers are show-offs. You wash the outside of your cups and dishes, while inside there is nothing but greed and selfishness. You see, the Pharisees were all about the way that they looked. And they had these nice robes that made them more holy. And they would go to different street corners and they would pray these big, eloquent prayers about, oh God, look how holy I am. Look at what I'm wearing. And they would pray. 
And when they would go to the temple, they wanted to make sure everyone saw how much money they were giving. And they would come and they would place it there and say, look at the money I give. God, I am holy, so much more holy than many others. And when Jesus saw this, he hated this. He literally hated it. You know, growing up as a PK, a preacher's kid, I went to church a lot. And it wasn't so bad uh, through middle school. And my dad used to have a prayer night on Sunday nights. And usually there were only a handful of people. And I was the youngest and my dad was the second youngest. So you can imagine how old the people were. And while I would go there, uh, I enjoyed it until one day I walked in and I had a baseball cap on. I walked into our little chapel that had some uh, chandeliers in the middle and I walked in and pretty soon Betty walked over to me. She goes, why are you wearing a baseball hat? You should not wear that in the house of the Lord. You are disrespecting God. And in the midst of that, I wish I would have done it differently, but this is what I said. I said, so you're telling me that if someone walked in here that we didn't know and they were wearing a baseball cap, you would tell them to leave. Is that what you're saying? She said, absolutely, with venom in her mouth. I absolutely would tell them to leave. And I said, well, if you would tell them to leave, then you're telling me to leave also. And I walked out of the church where my dad pastored, and I walked home. Now, I'm not saying that I handled that the best way. My dad had to take a little flack for my behavior. But this is the truth that came to me on that day. Jesus would never tell anyone to leave because of the clothes that they were wearing. And I'm telling you right now that if you're not religious or if you are religious, if you are uh, a person of great wealth or you have no wealth, if you have the right label or the wrong label or no label, if you are red or black or white or purple or you come in with tats or purple hair or whatever it is that you have, this is what I want you to know. You are welcome. You are welcome. You are welcome. Because every single one of us comes to this place at the foot of the cross. And it is not about what we wear, what we look like, what we have or what we don't have. It is about the fact that God loves us. And he cares for us so much. And you are welcome in this place. You see, folks, Jesus said it's not about the external, it's about the internal of who you are. And anyone who wants to give this aura of, you know what, it's all about how religious I am, it is not that. It is not that at all. Because that Jesus despised and it actually led to hot messes. The second ingredient of a hot mess religion that we can find is that it promotes spiritual pride. It promotes spiritual pride. When we have spiritual pride, what happens is we feel like we are better than other people, that we're right and everybody else is wrong. 
And again, Jesus despised this. In fact, one day he told a story to some people who were very proud of their religious and their religion and righteousness. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus says this. Jesus told a story to some people who thought they were better than others and who looked down on everyone. Two men went into a temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, we've already talked about the Pharisee. This was a religious person who tried to obey 613 laws and anyone who didn't, they looked down upon them as less than. Now, the tax collector, on the other hand, was a person who was despised by the Jewish culture. And this is why you would understand why that person would be like this. You see, the Roman government controlled all of Israel, but they had to get some taxes from the Jews. So they got Jewish people who became tax collectors that would collect it. But they were so corrupt that let's say that you owed $1,000 in taxes to the Romans, the tax collector would say, you owe $1,300. And you didn't know and you were so fearful that you might die or your family would that you would pay the whole amount. And what would happen is the tax collector would give a thousand to the Romans and then keep 300 for themselves. They were extremely, extremely corrupt people. And the people of Jesus's day, they hated them. So we have this Pharisee, this religious guy, and then we have this despised tax collector. And it says, the Pharisee stood over by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not greedy or dishonest or unfaithful in my marriage like other people. And I am really glad that I am not like the tax collector over there. I fast two days a week and I give one-tenth of all I earn. In other words, the Pharisee was saying, I am such a good religious person. I am right and all of you are wrong and I'm better than that person over there. Now, many times with a message like this, what people will say is, well, I'm not like that at all. I don't have any spiritual pride. You ever notice that You never see spiritual pride in the mirror. You never see it in the mirror. You see it in everyone else. And one of the things that I myself, sometimes spiritual pride gets in my way, and I've got to really curb that in myself. And daily, I have to kind of say, I don't want to do that. I want to be able to be humble and like Christ himself. I mean, the number one reason why non-Christians and non-religious people despise Christianity is because sometimes Christians portray an aura that I'm right and you're wrong and I'm better than you. And that judgmental, overcritical attitude, it turns people off. It actually poisons them for ever wanting to give Christ a chance. Folks, don't ever look down on anybody. Never do that. And don't have a spiritual pride where you're hypercritical of someone else. The truth is, it's not about that at all. Christianity is not about a religion. It's about a relationship with the one who knows you best and loves you most. And let me say this too. Don't do that towards other Christians 
or people that go to another church. I love the jar. I love who we are. I love our mission to love our community into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have given my work life for this place. I will be here until you say, Chris, we don't want you anymore. I've given my life to this uh, organism that is growing and moving and changing and touching lives. But don't you think for a minute that this is the only way or this is the best way. The truth is, is that although we love what we're about and we're doing our thing that God has called us to do, that we never want to put down any other Christian or any other church. If they are with Jesus, we are for them and for their church. We're not against them. And again, folks, the truth is Jesus isn't about a religion or building anyways. He's really about how do we help people understand that with Christ, they can be set free to be full of joy, full of life, full of goodness, full of love and compassion. That every single person that you ever lock eyes with, we are to give that kind of perspective, the relationship that Christ has with us. And toxic religion, poison religion, thinking that we have all the answers creates a hot mess. So, if we're not going to have a hot mess religion and act that way, then how will we live? Well, we're going to choose to live with good news. Now, the word gospel actually means the good news of Jesus Christ, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news of Jesus Christ is not about what we do and continue to climb up some spiritual ladder because the truth is none of us are moral enough to get to a perfect God. He didn't come to us to make us more religious. He came to allow us to have a relationship with him. And so I want to clearly explain the gospel as much as I can uh, in a very short period of time by looking at a passage of scripture in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. And this is what Paul said. He said this, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God being made right with God apart from the law has been made known. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. So I want to break this down kind of rapid fire style to let you be able to see what is the good news. This is the good news. First of all, you have to understand this. You cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. You, no matter who you are, cannot receive and be accepted and earn God's acceptance by observing the law. Religion says that I can please God by climbing up the ladder, by doing certain things. That's what it says. Religion says you are made right with God by obeying every single different law that there is. 
Now, when I was growing up, they gave a, a law to all of us in elementary school at the church where my dad pastored. And this was the law. Don't drink, don't chew, and don't run with girls that do. And that's what they would say regularly. We had a men in the church that they chewed tobacco, red man. I remember seeing it. And, but for all the kids, that's what they would tell us. Don't drink, don't chew, don't run with girls that do. And that was what it meant to be a person who was made right with God. Maybe today it might be, well, don't, you know, watch rated R movies or don't look at porn, which you shouldn't look at porn, by the way. But it's all of these rules that get on top of each other, one after another. Don't cheat. Don't cuss. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't, 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 don't. And pretty soon what happens is people who are outside of the church, you know what they think Christianity is? A bunch of don'ts. That you walk into this place and really you're not going to be accepted anyways because there's many things that you're doing right now that are not good. And there are all these don'ts. Don't, 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 don't. Or we say, well, there are things that you got to do. You got to do this and do this and do this. Read the Bible, give money away, be able to have the right attitude. And if you do enough things, you will be made right with God. That's what religion says. But again, Romans 3.20 says this. Let's read it together. It says this. It says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing what? What's it say? The law. Folks, there's nothing you can do to earn your way up to God. You can't climb up a morality ladder high enough or do enough things to be made right with God. You can't do it. So then the question becomes, then why the law, Chris? Why do we have these things in the Bible? Then, then why? Why do we need the law? Well, here's a second thought. The purpose of the law is to show you your need for a savior. That's what the purpose of the law is, to show your need for a savior. Again, Romans 3.20 says this, No one will be declared righteous by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of what? Of our sin. That's what the law does. It shows us that we should be conscious of our sin. For example, we know the Ten Commandments. Let's take it for granted for a moment. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. If you've ever told a lie. Okay, if you aren't raising your hand right now, guess what? You're a liar. You're a liar. How many of you have ever coveted something from somebody else? You've envied something from someone else, a neighbor, a friend, a, a girlfriend, whatever. Have you ever done that? Have, have you ever put something before God? That's called idolatry. That's the first commandment. And all of us are guilty of it, every single one. You see, what the law does is it says, you know what? I'm bad. I'm a sinner. It shows that you don't need religion. What you need is a savior. The law reveals that you need a savior because you can't do enough to get up 
to God. Nothing that you do will get you to a relationship with him. The law can't do that for you. So, you cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. And the second thing is the law shows you that you need a savior. And then a third thing is this, and here's the good news. Righteousness with God, me being made right with God, comes down to my faith in Christ alone. It's Christ plus nothing. It's Christ alone. Not Christ plus circumcision, not Christ plus church membership, not Christ plus how much money you give. It's not Christ plus your behavior. Righteousness with God, being made right with God, comes by faith in Christ and Christ alone. Romans 3.22 says this, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to how many people? All, all who believe. Does that include doubters? Yeah. Does that include people who have done some really bad things in their life? Yeah. Does that include people who have messed up royally? Yes. Does that include people who were not religious? Yes. Does that include people who are religious? Yes. Does that include people who never went to church growing up? Yes. Does that include people who have gone to church their entire life? Yes. Does it include the person who's never walked in church and yet they believe in Christ? The answer obviously is yes. You see, all includes everyone All includes everyone who puts their faith in Christ. They will be made right with God. And they'll be forgiven of everything. You know, until I was 26 years old, I thought that the way to God was I just had to be a better person. That I just had to climb up the ladder and do a whole bunch of things, and then if I climbed up enough and I did a bunch of good things, that I actually would have a right relationship with God. But this is what I learned. I got exhausted. I got tired. I got worn out. And then when I would mess up, I would feel like, well, I'm going back down the ladder. And sometimes I've messed up so much in my life that I felt like I was right back at the starting point again. And you see, this is the thing. Religion is spelled D-O. It's what you do. It's the things that you do for God. It's how you climb up to do that. That's what religion is spelled. But you see, folks, Christianity is not about religion, about you doing things. Christianity is spelled a totally different way. It's actually spelled D-O-N-E, what Christ has already done. There's nothing you can do. It's what Christ has already done on the cross. And because of that, he came down from heaven to earth to bring us up to him. Religion is spelled D-O, a faith with Christ is spelled D-O-N-E. It's already been done 
for you. And at the age of 26, I finally realized that God loved me where I was at. And it wasn't what I had to do, but it's what Christ had already done. Remember the story at the very beginning when we were talking about the Pharisee, the big religious person, and what his response was as he was in the temple? And that he said, look at me, look at all the things that I do, look at the prayers that I pray, look at what I say. And he put his trust in himself. And he felt that my behavior is enough to get me to be made right with God. And he trusted himself. Let's look at what the tax collector trusted. The scripture says this, the tax collector stood off at a distance and did not think he was good enough to look up toward heaven. He was so sorry for what he had done that he pounded his chest and he prayed, God, have pity on me. I am such a sinner. Then Jesus said, when the two men went home, it was the tax collector and not the Pharisee who was pleasing to God. You see, what happened was the tax collector realized that there was nothing in his life that he could climb up enough for God to have a relationship with him. It had to be the other way. He said, please have mercy on me. I'm, I'm such a sinner. The only way I have a chance is that you would come down from heaven to earth. And that's exactly what God did. God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, from heaven to earth. And he died on a cross for all of our sins. And he said, it's been done. You don't have to do any more. It's been done for you. So this is my question for you this morning. Who are you going to trust? You're going to trust yourself and your morality that you can get up to God. Or are you going to trust in the one who came down from heaven and he said it's done and he died on a cross and he gave his one and only life for you so that you could be forgiven now and you would have eternal life with him forever. Who are you going to trust? Who will you place your full trust in? Let's pray. Loving God, thank you so much for sending your one and only son to come for us, to leave from heaven to come to earth. Thank you for coming down the ladder, God, to rescue us, to save us, to make us brand new. And God, today, regardless of where we're at on the spiritual spectrum, God, we want to learn to trust in your son more than anything else. We want to trust in you and you alone. Help us not to put our trust in the external of the things that we can do for you, but help us to be reminded of what you've done for us. We realize, God, that it's everything that you've done on the cross that is more than enough. That you never, ever have failed us. 
not one time. And you loved us so much that you said, you're my son, you're my daughter. I'm leaving heaven to come to rescue you, to let you know you don't have to live with the burden of shame and guilt and everything from your past. So we place our lives into your hands and we realize, God, that you will be the one who will order our steps. Give us your wisdom to know today, God, that as we honor you, that you show us how much you love us and help us to remember that when we seek you, we will find you and you will answer us. Because, God, at the end of the day, it's not about what we do, but it's about what your son has done for us. Thank you for choosing us. And now we put our full trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.